Hosanna, a fellowship with Christians. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hey, there we go. I, now I hear you. All right. Well, we have another lovely day. It is cold. We had a little snow squalls yesterday, but uh, it's warm, happy feelings inside here, so we can warm up and uh, enjoy worship today. Oh, 
Yes, Lord. Here my God to thee. Well, I just want to say welcome again to those that are online and watching us from home. We appreciate you being here with the worship today. And uh, we're just going to continue in worship and just talk about how, you know, God is close to us and God is joy. And um, he's just a part of our lives. And this next song is just a, another song to show that he's with us always. How about everybody stand and, and join us with this? Lend your voices to us this morning.
Next song is a new song. I was gonna say, stay standing stay with standing us. Stay standing if you can. New song. And uh, this is new to us, new to you. But we're gonna keep on praising.
what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you again. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. with us today. You may have a seat. Kevin's going to come up. Amen. I think he is, yes. Oh, hold on. I got I to gotta wipe, gotta wipe this off now. right in here. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see seats filling up. I'm not saying that to make anyone online feel guilty. So don't take it that way, please. Uh, it's wonderful, though, to see everyone here. Um, Deb asked me to do announcements this week. And uh, I said, sure, I'm available. So I'm going to ask the ushers to get ready, if they would, to take up the offering. <laughs> ushers, are you ready? <laughs> yeah, we're ready. Okay. I'm sorry, this is just who I am. Let's have a word of prayer before we take up our offering. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. We thank you for the blessings that you give us every day, even though some days they're hard to see. Lord, we thank you for the life you give us, the ability to work, the ability to uh, go out and be productive and all those things in the many ways you bless us. And now, Lord, we just offer our part back to you. We ask you to use it to further your kingdom. You already have plans for the funds that come into this place and to bless others with it. And we thank you and we praise you. 
And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Hang on, hang on. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Okay, now, we also have some announcements today. Uh, there you go. Here we go. Okay. Those guys will get the buckets in. Um, announcements today. There is the final class for the adults um, meeting over here at 1115. I'm sorry for you online if I got out of frame. Um, meeting at 1115. This is the uh, adult class Gospel of Joy, um, study of Philippians. So 1115 in the social hall over there, the final class today. Um, also, after the service, if anyone is in need of any prayer, would like prayer, back here at the illuminated cross in the corner, we have our elders who would make themselves available to pray with any of you who might need any support in any way. Um, also, uh, K4FUN calling uh, K3MJN. K3MJN, are you here? K3MJN here. Oh, K3MJN, good to, good to hear you. Uh, you might be wondering what is this insane man talking about. What he's talking about is tomorrow night at 6.30, there is an uh, informational meeting about joining a ham radio club that will be headed up by Mike Newman. Um, he refers to it as your superpower. So please come. And if you are interested in learning more about your superpower with ham radio, he will be more than happy to fill you in on that. Uh, thank you, K3MJN. And also, in the front here, we are going to be observing the Lord's Supper today. And um, we have, I would call it like two options. We have a, a regular option, and we have an option for people who might feel more comfortable with individual packaged Items, so feel free to partake in any way that makes you feel the most comfortable. And with that, I think I caught my breath, and we're going to have Tony and Joanne come up and give us a wonderful message, I believe, about, should I say it? Should I say Love. Hey, Kevin, would you like some energy drink? No. <laughs> you going to be okay? <laughs> That's the most running you've done this year, right? No. No. <laughs> oh. Morning. Morning, everybody. Morning. We always know we're going to be, uh, we're going to have a good time when Kevin gets up here, so. We're in a culture that celebrates romantic love all the time. It's in the movies, it's in the music, it's just everywhere around. So it really is a little strange, isn't it, that we have to have a special day for it. Like we did this week. A romantic holiday on Monday. Mm -hmm. Named after a Christian bishop who got his head chopped off. <laughs> that screams romance to me. No. <laughs> That's what St. Valentine's Day is. Somehow that evolved into the seriousness and silliness Valentine's Day, and it is silly sometimes, isn't it? Just like the way romantic love in our culture often is, particularly our love songs. How do you like that transition? Uh, <laughs> here's a couple from my generation that I have 
well, I'm going to give you a couple earworms today that you're going to hate me for. Okay. <laughs> hey, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, Mickey, <laughs> anybody remember that one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a love song. And I guess Mickey is fine. Or if you don't think Mickey's fine, you could always sing this one to him or her. You're the reason our kids are ugly. <laughs> Loretta Lynn, it's a real song, real title, my favorite title. So much for country music. <laughs> now, some, um, it could depend on what kind of love you're claiming on Valentine's Day. Back when, before my time, Donny Osmond sang to us about puppy love. Remember that? Some of you. Which sounds sweet and adorable. And then Captain and Tenille up the ante with their tribute to muskrat love. I remember that. <laughs> Which I never fully understood and did not feel the need to investigate. Uh, some of the love songs in our culture sound a little bit scary. Every breath you take, I'll be watching. Every move you make, it's like this police stalker song. What I found hilarious was the song came out just a little bit later. I doubt it was a response to it, but it seemed like it was. Some guy named Rockwell that we never heard from since. But I always feel like somebody's watching me. Well, yeah, it's the police there. Not, not the ones in the uniforms, the, the, the group. Um, sometimes, sometimes the songs tell us what we should do for love. I will climb every, you know how many songs have that line in? I'll climb every mountain. I'll climb the highest mountain. It seems that in order to love appropriately, you must exert some physical energy. Or you want to cover all the bases. I would do anything for love. That's what Meatloaf sang. He died a few weeks ago. Yeah. But he wasn't quite serious because he then informed us in the next line, but I won't do that. And we have never quite understood <laughs> no. <laughs> what that is. I think it's about changing diapers. <laughs> we babysat our grandson yesterday. <laughs> Love you, kid. Not that much. <laughs> I would if I needed to. <laughs> or maybe Tina Turner was right all along. What's love got to do with it? That was a, boy, that was a hard-hitting song. What's love but a second-hand emotion? Hmm, is that what love is? Actually, no. This morning, we've got some more gospel for you. <laughs> some good news about the good news. And the good news is that gospel is love. And that love has everything to do with it. And so the most meaningful love songs are the songs that God sings to us. And then we sing back to God. We did that a little bit this morning already. And the love that is good news is far better than we have imagined it to be. Yeah, and just in case you don't believe that God sings to us, it's in the Bible. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God wins victory after victory and is always with you. He celebrates and sings because of you, or some translations, he sings over you. And he will refresh your life with his love. That's very cool because that's a really helpful transition for me too because not only does he sing in love over you, he will refresh your life with his love. Okay, so the word love is in that verse, <laughs> which allows me to segue into our word study portion of the message. 
we need to explore uh, what the biblical words that are translated in English, love, mean. Now, we've done this every week in this series because understanding what the words meant to the original hearers, you know, at the time that they were written, makes it so much easier for us to understand the scriptures to, and to make meaningful connections between the Bible and our own lives today. Okay, so let's start, as we have in every message, with the Old Testament. Like joy, there's only one Hebrew root word which means love, right? Joy meant joy. Love means love. It's the word ahava, ahava. There are lots, if, if you look in books, which you probably would rather not do, but I did, long, like a full paragraph of all of the variations of this word. Why? Because there are lots of variations in the Hebrew text for, with this word because what they're trying to do is indicate the, all the many nuances of love. They didn't have all those love songs to do that for them, so they were doing it with language. Um, out of all of those nuances and layers and, and meanings of love, there are three general understandings for ahava. First, ahava shows love between people in all kinds of relationships, um, from what we call dating, which they didn't do, but dating and marriage, to love between parents and children, and yes, it includes in-laws, there's ahava is, or ahava is used in, um, to describe Ruth's love for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And I'm sure it describes Carla's love for her mother-in-law, me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I digress. It's also, there are variations of this word that describe the love between neighbors and between friends and even between foreigners and the children of Israel. Other forms of ahava can also be used to describe not only the relationship between people, but the, the, the love between people and things, all right? Like food and drink. That word, ahava, is used to describe, yeah, just how much they love to sit down and feast, you know, at the, the harvest time. And also, something I like, Wine is used in conjunction with this word. Not abused, of course, but I like that, food and drink. It also, it's used to describe the way a farmer loves the soil. Yes, we've got one of those right here in our congregation. You wanna know why you can love soil? Talk to John, he knows. It also uh, is a word that's used to describe sleep. <laughs> Yes, and wisdom, and loving life itself. What was that first word you used, sleep? Sleep. Sleep. I okay. love sleep. I just don't have a real relationship healthy. All things in I'm trying. Part of the reason I was late this morning is, you know, I got a new phone, and it helps to turn up the volume on the phone when you set the alarm. That coupled with the fact that my dog doesn't sleep any better than I do. And so uh, the vet said I could give the dog some melatonin. <laughs> so 
So the last couple nights, oh, it worked really so well. The dog has slept all night. Instead of waking me up at six o'clock or 5.30 in the morning, she's sleeping. My alarm went off, but I didn't hear it. So there you go. I got a little more sleep. I love sleep. That's the first meaning of ahava. See, I got to bring it back. Because uh, we have other things to do this morning except talk about these fascinating words. Okay. First meaning, the love between people and people and things. Second meaning of this word moves from that into human love for God in every possible way. Again, this is an all-encompassing word. Human love for God. And listen, it also includes not only what God does that causes us to love him, but also loving God for who God is. And that brings us to the third meaning of ahava. And this is the most important love in the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew scriptures. Most important love is God's love for the whole world. And what's, this is a beautiful thing because it's different variations of the word. It's God's love universally for the entire world at the same time, all of everybody in the world at the same time. And simultaneously, while God's loving everyone in this big universal way, God's also loving each individual particular person. So like God loving David, is man after God's own heart. Or Solomon, the, these words are used for particular as well as for the entire world. It's really beautiful. Also for groups of people like the children of Israel. All right, so that's Ahaba. That's what's used most often. There's another Hebrew word, though, um, hesed, and we've talked about this before. It's often translated as love or more loving kindness. It's also an all-encompassing word like ahava, and it, it, it does have to do with love, except it always refers to tangible actions taken in love. It's about acting. It's a noun. There's no verb. It's just acting, like showing mercy, doing justice, offering compassion, giving help, hesed. It's the willingness to act kindly whether you feel like it or not. Ahava, on the other hand, it does include action, but it's always also an expression of, of deep desire, strong feeling. So it's very cool, isn't it? that in the Old Testament, love is still love, whether there are emotions, the emotions are there or not. In the New Testament, there are three Greek words that are translated as love, all right? And one word is implied. Most of these words are familiar to most of us here because we talk, have talked about them a lot, but I do wanna review them because we've got quite a few new friends among us, so we wanna make sure we, we're all together. And we love them. And we do, both ahava and hesed. Okay, now, but moving into Greek in the New Testament, first word, agape. Okay, this is like ahava in the sense that it's all-encompassing universal love by God for all humanity, for the whole world. That's the word that's used in John 3.16, for God so agaped the whole world. Everyone that he gave his only begotten son, who so, that so, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
not only God, but people too can express agape love. Because it's not only an emotion. See, it's bringing together um, the Hebrew words and understandings of what love is. We can agape too, because it's not only an emotion. See, it's the love that's there when the feelings aren't. Agape is based in the will. It's based in our ability to make a choice to love in tangible ways, whether we feel like it or not. It's the choice to love, and it springs from the intrinsic value and preciousness of another human being. Not necessarily that we would deem them so, but because God does, right? So agape loves because everyone is worth, has worth and value and is precious simply because they are, because they're alive, because they're breathing air. Agape, that's why agape love is commanded in the Bible. We are commanded as Christians to love in this way. Why? Because it's not based in shifting emotions. It's not based in, in circumstances. Agape love is based in the unconditional, unchanging worth of everyone, including God. So we agape God too. We choose to offer agape love to everyone and God and even our enemies. And it's a command. All right, that brings us to the second word, second Greek word, philia or phileo. It's friendship love, like Philadelphia. Phil means friendship love. Whenever I think of Philadelphia, I think of love. Yeah, I know. Adelphos, Adelphos in Greek means brother, sister, sibling. So it's brotherly love, sisterly love. What, it's a tender affection inspired by qualities you admire or find attractive in another person, okay? Or mutual interests like ham radio. There you go. That little club could actually be a very good illustration of, as, as many mutual kind of mm, shared interest groups are, um, mutual interests uh, of phileo love. Um, okay, agape can include emotion, doesn't have to. Phileo does. It involves emotion. A phileo relationship usually lasts as long as both people are feeling it. You know, meaning we're getting something out of this. We're sharing something. If one isn't anymore something, that relationship might kind of drift apart. So phileo love is based in the pleasure that one receives in the relationship. So it's conditional. Agape is unconditional. It's conditional love, it's dependent on emotion, it's dependent on circumstance, so it can't be commanded. We are not commanded to like somebody. You can't manufacture feelings of liking. But agape, we can be commanded to love, feelings or not, make sense? Third Greek word in New Testament only appears twice, this is family love, storge, storge, family love. It means to cherish affectionately, to love dearly, to be devoted to. 
like spouses and siblings and parents and children and even out into extended family. Storge describes that bond of love that's nurtured. Now again, we're talking, these words are also used to describe when that doesn't happen. But best case scenario, these words are describing the bond of love that's nurtured between family members and those who are loved as family. And the fourth word, fourth Greek word that, okay, so those are, those are the three that are actually there in the text, in the Bible. Fourth word doesn't appear. It's the word eros. You know, we get our English word erotic from that word. That, it doesn't appear uh, in the text. What is it? This is obviously passionate love for a particular person which wants to be expressed physically. In the New Testament, um, obviously, there are, there are lots of words, lots of language that are referring to physical love, right? To do it, not to do it, how to do it, within the bonds of marriage, all of that. The New Testament does refer to physical love. But this Greek word, eros, isn't used. Now, nobody knows for sure why. Maybe because the Greek and Roman cultures of the day were obsessed with eroticism. There was, you know, like prostitution happening in temples to pagan gods that was blessed and said that this was wonderful. This is a way that you can come in touch with what's divine. All right, they even had a god named Eros. Nobody's sure, but maybe they didn't want Christianity to be associated with what was happening in the temples of their day. See, what's certain, though, is that holy, passionate, physical love was praised. It was praised in the Old Testament, that Old Testament Song of Solomon, Okay, talking about it. Some people find it really difficult to read it because it's erotic. But listen, it Some that, teenagers find it as their favorite book of the Bible. I, I believe that. <laughs> but listen, that Old Testament book wasn't eliminated from the canon of Scripture, was it? They included it. It was not eliminated. It was not forbidden in the New Testament. It was simply being seen through the lens of this original overlapping, broad, deep meaning of that one word, avana. So they were Jewish, you know, writing the New Testament. These were people other than Luke who were, they understood they were Jewish. They understood the culture. So what does all this mean? It means that the Christian understanding of love includes both holy, unconditional love for all people and feeling holy, individualized love for particular people in all ways. Now, wow, that's a lot. Thanks for listening. One more thing generally about love in the Bible. Love is not the opposite of hate. We think that often. That is not true in the Bible. The opposite of love is apathy. The opposite of love is indifference. Not caring at all. No feelings. 
If you think about it, both love and hate contain fierce emotion. In fact, hating something or someone is often a very distorted expression of love for someone or something else. Here's a very extreme example. Genocide. It involves hatred, doesn't it? But the killing is justified out of love for one's tribe, like it was in Rwanda. Or love for your country, like the Holocaust in World War II. Are we together? See, to agape someone, to love someone, is not merely not to hate them. No. And it's also not just to tolerate their existence in your world. To agape someone, to love someone the way that we as Christians are instructed to love, is choosing to value them and also to act in life-giving ways toward them because God does whether we want to or not. Does it make sense? It's not hate. Okay, opposite. And to clarify, by the way, just let, lest I be mm-hmm. misunderstood, I agape Philadelphia and all of its good citizens. <laughs> yeah. I made a wise crack about Philadelphia sports teams is what I should have said. But has anyone been to a game with the, a Phillies game live? Okay, it's, it's, it's a fascinating experience. You ought to try that sometime. Not a lot of love. <laughs> anyway, if love is all of that, everything mm-hmm. that Joanne's been describing, all these good biblical words that cover the whole gamut of, uh, of all of our experiences of love, then love is gospel indeed. It's good news. Yep. And gospel is love because this is what's maybe the, the, the really cool part about it. It's who God is. And we don't mean merely, because almost everybody would agree, okay, God is love, even though we struggle with that a little bit. Well, why doesn't God do this? And why does God do this? We don't merely mean by this that God does loving things or that God has loving emotions. It's not just this philia kind of love. Yeah. God does get quite passionate about love, yes. There was the old Greek th- philosophers and theologians who taught that God was very impassive. God was unemotional. no. You read the scripture, he's very passionate. But for God, love is not a quality that is switched on or off. It's not something where he gets tired of people after a while and relationships kind of wander like they do with human love. No, scripture makes it clear God is love itself. Behind all these words in the the Hebrew and in the Greek and in English and whatever language you want to put on the table here, Mm -hmm. God is the ultimate definition of love. All of our human loves derive from God. And therefore, this is where it gets, this is where it gets, the rubber meets the road here a little bit. Any depiction of God that is not love is not God. That's right. It's bad At least theology. not the true God. If somebody describes yes. a God to you and that God is not love, that is not really God. Yes. Even if they're doing it in church and claiming the Bible. That means if someone describes an unloving God to you, they're not telling the truth about God. And if they, by the way, if that person talks to you about God is not a loving person... They may know some things about God, but they do not know God. Yes. Ooh, I mean, this, gets, this is, this is heavy-duty mm-hmm. stuff. The Bible says it. Yep. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love yep. does not know God because God is love. Yes. Those who truly know God become like God in love. It's impossible to know God and not become a more loving person. 
at least over time. It isn't, you know, like flipping a switch, you know, it develops automatically. But the closer we draw to God, the more loving we become. And every, this, this gets really wild, too. And everyone who loves already reflects the character of God. Mm-hmm. At least to that degree, even if they don't know God and even if they don't claim his name. This is radical. Because we see, we tend to think that you prove your, how well you know God by how good your theology is and by how good your behavior is. The Bible makes it clear that's not the definition. Yeah. That's not how we understand it. It is the character of God is love, and the people who love look like God. Yes. Now, it's one thing to talk about God's love as doctrine, as I've been doing here, as we've been doing here. Okay, what's the Bible say? It's one thing even to sing that in a song. Mm-hmm. We teach our kids, Jesus loves me, this I know, and it's true. By, by the way, if we could believe that past page eight, or age 8, or past age 12, we'd live different lives. Yeah. Because it's not enough to just say it or believe it in our heads. It's another to trust it deeply enough to bank your life on it. So let me ask a question we've been asking one form or another the whole way through this series on gospel. What is your image of God? We ask you that about God. Grace. Do you imagine God as a God of grace? Do you imagine God as a God of hope? Do you imagine God being joyful? That was last week's question. So here's this this week's. When you imagine God, do you imagine God as love? Think about that a moment. Mm -hmm. Not just in your head, but do you understand? Do you have a picture in your mind? Do you have a feeling in your heart that says, yes, God loves Here's one way to find out if you're still pondering that. Let's go to the Bible's famous depiction of love. 1 Corinthians 13. Gets read at weddings, almost nowhere else. (laughs) Let's do something fun. Everywhere the word love is used, let's substitute God. Hmm. See if it fits. Why don't we, I want to invite you to do this together. Let's read it out loud together and see if this comports, this, this, this coincides with our understanding of, of who God is. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God, God is, is not easily, easily angered. angered. I'm going to interrupt. Do you really believe that? Uh-huh. I know. God keeps He's no record evil. of wrongs. Isn't that awesome? God does not delight Light in evil, evil but, rejoices but rejoices with the, the truth. God, God always protects, protects always, always trusts, 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 always hopes, always, always perseveres. God, God never, never fails. fails. Sorry to keep interrupting you, but wow, seriously, have you ever imagined God as being that loving? Yeah, and God is love, and is that loving. So gospel is love because God's love is that infinitely indescribable good news. It's beautiful. And so I get to say a bit more about what I started earlier. I'm going to give some characteristics then about Gospel love, gospel love, and God's love. We can say that gospel is love because God's love is fierce. All right, God's love is not fragile. It's not flimsy. It doesn't collapse or change under pressure. 
It stands strong and sturdy, and often it stands very ferociously. Song of Solomon, I keep going to that this morning. I must need to sit down and read it again. Set me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, passion as intense as Sheol. The flames of love are flames of fire, a blaze that comes from the Lord. Wow. See, God's love is not an out-of-control wildfire that destroys everything it touches. This image of God as just throwing down like Zeus from Mount Olympics, Olympus, lightning bolts and setting everything on fire with flames of anger in his eyes. No. No, this is not an out-of-control kind of fire. This is not destructive anger or hatred. We're told that God is a consuming fire who burns away everything that threatens to harm us. That's the point of it. It's not to destroy us. It's to burn away what isn't us. What's destructive to us. This, he wants to consume whatever keeps us from him in love. This is a refining fire. It loves all the impurities out of us so we can shine like gold in love's glory. This is gospel. This is good news. Why? It, does, it means we don't have to fear God. It means we can come out of hiding because God's love is our safest hiding place. All that come under the shelter of my wings. Jesus crying over Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Oh, he's weeping in love. Why won't you just come? God wants to hold you like a mother hen holds her chicks. No, God is not punishing. God is protective. We just read that, didn't we? Love, God always protects. See, you want to know what God's fierce love is like? Just remember what rises in a loving parent whose child is threatened. (laughs) it can be scary but it's love and this is an all-consuming strength to act for that child's safety and well-being so that child can live can grow up and live god fiercely loves each of us he loves all of us the whole world like that and you know what it doesn't have to be loud this can be a very quiet fierce love too. God fiercely desires us to become who we were created to be and to grow into the fullness of Christ's image and become as fiercely protective, listen, of one another as of everyone in our world and as courageous in love as he is, willing to do whatever is necessary, yes, even very hard things. This is what speak the truth in love means. Not anger, not putting somebody down, not trying to get the other hand, not correcting them all the time. It is in love, wanting what is best for them and being willing to have the conversation. It is about promoting the growth and well-being in love of all things. And we might throw in creation itself, but we're not talking about that today. 
God's love is also forgiving. This is probably the most common, most, most well-understood aspect of mm. God's love. We sang it this morning. Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. Hmm. God loves us so much that God freely forgives our wrongdoing, even the wrongdoing we do against him. Love covers over a multitude of sins, which describes not only, by the way, God's love, but the way that we can love one another. Yes. Much of the biblical stories about the extraordinary lengths that God has gone to to help us understand his forgiveness, mm-hmm. to trust it, to ask for it, to live like it's true. Now, that kind of forgiveness costs, something, costs God something, of course. Hang with me here a little bit. Any kind of love worth having is ultimately sacrificial. Yeah. To love means to allow oneself to be vulnerable and to be hurt. To sometimes purposely choose pain in order to express love most fully. To give up some portion of our agenda for a greater good. Most of the problems that we exist, that exist in relationships are because somebody is saying, I love you, therefore you got to do what I expect you yeah. to do. If you loved me, yes. you would do this yes. or that. Or you wouldn't do this or that. And then God comes along and shows us what truly sacrificial love is. I'm going to love you no matter what. Yes. I'm going to love you if you screw up, when you screw up, and I'm going to love you enough to bring you back into relationship with me because you're probably not going to get around to it on your own. (laughs) (laughs) Or figure out how to do that. Yeah. Any of you who are parents understand this really well, I imagine. What it is to love your kids and forgive them even when they, um, they don't do what they're supposed to. Yeah. God didn't stay above the pain of loving relationship. He chose to get fully involved with us. He got his hands dirty in our world and in our life. And at the cross, he got his hands bloody as well. Out of love for us. So that every act of rebellion, every sin, every memory of the times we rejected God's love. Look at the hand. God, I don't want you right now. So all of that can be entirely forgiven and forgotten. Out of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Third, I'm smiling because I can't wait for this one. Gospel is love because God's love is submitting. <gasps> oh my gosh. I used the S word on purpose. Submitting. <laughs> and I use it on purpose because of the reaction it causes, usually. <sighs> Everyone holds their breath and sucks all the air in out of the room. Listen. So that's the S word? That's the S word. <laughs> that's one of them. There's another S word that it isn't. See, submission is not subjugation. Love doesn't force anyone down under the, the foot of anyone else. Love doesn't force and sub- submission isn't about forcing anyone down under the power or control of, of anyone else, including God. Did you ever notice that? We interpret things in the Bible, like what I'm going to talk about in a minute, uh, as if it's from God. Get under the you know, hierarchy, get under, find your place and get in it under somebody else who's the one who's telling you to get under them. Where does God say that? Nowhere, because God doesn't do that. That is not how God uses God's power. Over. See, Jesus was clear that relationship with God is voluntary. 
whosoever wants to come, come. This uh, old missionary way of like coming over to another country and forcing people who can't even understand the language that you're using. I'm thinking of Spanish conquistadors in South America. Couldn't even understand what they were telling them. Being killed because they wouldn't on the spot kneel down and say Jesus is Lord. That's not God. That is power over. No, God has that power but chooses not to use it that way against us. Right? Love, power in love is power with and power for. Hmm, it's gotten really quiet in here. See, controlling power is what we humans do to each other. But Jesus said that the kind of, that the kind of hierarchical top-down power that people exercise over each other in the world, he said it, this will not be found among my people. Why? Because it's not found in God. Our triune God is a three-in-one relationship of living love. Each member of the Trinity is equally God, right? Fourth century, it was declared heresy. That, that there's a hierarchy in the Trinity. Lots of people want to say, Father over the Son, Son over the Spirit. Fourth century, seriously, that was declared heresy. That's not true. Because if you've got three subordinate, if you've got a subordination system, you don't have three beings that come together and make one God. No one member of the Trinity is over or under the others. Each one of the members of the Trinity does particular works in love. Is that true? Yes, they, they're different. They're, they're beings like Father creating, Son redeeming, S Holy Spirit sustaining life, for example. So what are they doing? Just think about it like stepping forward when it's time for creation. Working together, the others are working together to support that. And then that one member steps back and another one steps forward. This is stepping forward, stepping back, deferring. In other words, mutually submitting one to the other. In, in the fourth century, what was called an eternal dance of love and life, which was called perichoresis. That is exactly how Christians are instructed to submit to one another in love. Romans 12.10, show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. What's that a picture of? Outdo each other, it's like a race, it's like a dance. We're trying to be the first one to get there and lift somebody else up. It's a bowing, but it's not forced. It is chosen in love to lift each other up, not force each other down. Are we together? And yes, this does turn the usual interpretation of marriage in Ephesians 5 on its head. Because the New Testament shows us that marriage was intended to be the most intimate physical expression, there's some eros for you, of God's love on earth. And Paul, after telling all Christ followers at the beginning of chapter five in Ephesians to, to this. Be, this is a command. Be imitators of God as beloved children. There's love all the way through this. And walk in love. 
How? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. This is what, and the whole rest of the chapter, up to verse 20, 21, is all about what that looks like in the entire body of Christ between all Christians married or not. Paul goes on to say in verse 21, every Christian is to submit to one another in the reverence of God. All right. All Christians are commanded to agape toward other members of the body of Christ, just as the members of the Trinity agape toward each other. Are we together? Deferring to each other as equals, loving each other as Christ loved us by choosing to humbly, mutually honor and respect each other in the whole body and especially in marriage. And then Paul, very next verse, verse 22, he begins to describe what this looks like in Christian marriage and he does what he just taught them. Only we miss it because we're not taught this. If he were gonna set up an order in which, you know, we've got the father and the husband who's the head and then the wife and then the kids and then the slaves and servants, he wouldn't have started with the wife. Verse 22, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. The word submit is not there. Because he's saying, see this mutual submitting out of reverence to the Lord, one to another? This is what it looks like in the family. It Start with the wife. Reverses the usual order of husband over wife. And goes on from there. Radical, countercultural love. We do not have time to go into all the details, but we need to say it here. Because submission in love has nothing to do with forced power or control, ever, ever, ever. It is not something that only wives and women have to do. This is gospel, folks. And this is love, this is radical good news that God doesn't play favorites. That there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's good news that every Christian gets to love as radically as Jesus does and did. And we each get to choose to see each other as equals. And, and to treat each other with honor and respect and to join together with the Trinity in their eternal dance of love, which becomes our eternal dance of love right here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. I can preach that one. <laughs> you want to keep going for a little bit? I do, but we've got other things to do, so go. I say so. No. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> Let me tell you one that I'm a little passionate. I'm, I, right. I'm passionate on that he one too, too, but here's another one. God, this is the last of the descriptions of God's yeah. love, and then we'll talk about what difference it makes to us. Gospel is love because God's love is secure. God's love is not dependent upon emotion. We've been saying that like so much human love. This is the difference, by the way, between being in love and choosing to love. Yeah. If we merely fall in love, cool emotion, but we can fall out of love. But if we choose to love, we can keep choosing. Yes. And God keeps choosing. 
and choosing and choosing and choosing because God longs for us, because God wants us. For a long time, I did not trust that. I did not believe that. My upbringing was that I, I could probably tick God off and God would send me packing. I was scared of that. It took me decades to be able to get to the point where I trusted that God was never going to do that. Interestingly, it was all over scripture mm. that God isn't going to do that. And the God I had come to know, by the way, wouldn't do that even if it wasn't in scripture. Yeah. I know that about God. Here's, one of the, here's a, just one of the cooler verses about this from Isaiah. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? <laughs> no, not usually. Have no compassion on a child she has born? Not usually. But even if that were possible, and we know that there are times when that is possible, even if it were possible that she may forget, God says, I will not forget you. Yes. And then he switches to metaphors, and this one is awesome. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Yeah. Isn't that I mean, awesome? God has a tattoo of you on his hand. Well, he rose with the scars right there. Right there where your name is, where your face is. Incapable of being washed off, pushed aside, or forgotten. Yep. God wants us. God keeps us. God's love is secure. It's an unfailing love. It says that repeatedly in the Bible. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Let's yeah. go to that slide here if we could, uh, because we're going to have some fun with it. There we go. That's from Romans. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And if all means all, then nothing means nothing, right? <laughs> so what? What's the list? What, what cannot separate us from God? How about death? Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor the future, hmm. yes. nor any powers, neither height, nor depths, nor anything else. Let's cover the bases in all of creation yeah. can separate us from his love. Yes. And that's because we are rooted and grounded in love. Yes. Love is the unshakable foundation of our relationship with God. It's not our behavior because we will screw that up. It's not our worship because that will not always be wholehearted. It's not our service because we can't possibly serve to the fullest extent necessary. Mm -hmm. It's not our emotions. Our emotions are fickle. I have 962 emotions a day. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> it's not even our beliefs. Yeah. But it, our trust in God is rooted in God choosing to do what God is. Yes. Choosing to do what God is for God is love. Yeah. And this means... For all of you who are fans of music of a generation ago, as the stuff that I know best, God is even better than Rick Astley, <laughs> who promised once in another one of those silly love songs that he was ne never going to give you up, never going to let you down, <laughs> never going to turn around and desert you. You guys know this song? <laughs> never going to make you cry, never going to say goodbye, never going to tell a lie and hurt you. <laughs> That's achieved some kind of pop culture or cultural phenomenon here a little bit. If you send that song to somebody, it's called Rick Rolling. Rick Rolling. Oh, my God. God's love is that good and better. <laughs> yeah, so gospel is love because God is love. And with God 
in Christ, we are lovely and lovable and loved and beloved already, just as we are simply because we bear the image of God. Like so much of what we're talking about today, we already know this in our heads, right? See, the issue for most of us here is whether we're also experiencing this in our hearts and even way down in our soul. So we want to pause here because it's been a lot. We want to pause for a spiritual direction moment. I'm going to make some space here, just some quiet space for just, just a few minutes. So we can be aware of the presence of the God who is love. We can become aware of our beloved who's here with us now, who's in us now. So I'm going to ask you, if you want, you don't have to, but if you want to, just close your eyes for just a moment. Take a deep breath. And become aware of God the way that you're aware of God. Just become aware of God's presence. And right there, in the presence of God, just consider that Earlier, we read from the love chapter. You know, we changed the word love to the word God because God is love. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to open your eyes so that we can do that again, slowly. Only this time, we're going to change the word God to the word I. Because in Christ's love, we are becoming lovely as he is. So we can say these things that are already true, at least in Christ in us. Now, if you open your eyes and you want to, let's read this slowly together. And just notice what's happening inside of you as you read. I am am patient. patient. I I am kind. kind. I I do do not not envy. envy. I I do do not not boast. boast. I am not proud. I do not dishonor others. I am not self-seeking. I am not easily angered. I keep no record of wrongs. I do not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. I always protect, always trust, always hope, Always persevere. I never fail or I never give up. Okay. Again, notice what was happening in you as you read those statements in the presence of God. Right? What was easy to say? Because you're already you know, living into those realities. Maybe you are patient, or more and more and more patient. Which word stuck in your throat a bit? Hard to say. Which of those phrases was the Holy Spirit trying, using to try to get your attention? Maybe to make you more aware of ways that 
God wants you to choose your loveliness and his. We're just going to take just a few more moments for you to have just a bit more quiet reflection time. Just wonder about that with the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you some specific practical ways that you can choose to become more and more lovely in whatever those ways were that were catching your attention. All right, just take a few more moments. And we hope that you'll continue this prayerful reflection, you know, on into the day as you leave, into the week, into the coming weeks. Just wanted to stop long enough to let this become very real and practical for you. Scripture tells us that we can't do this, right? Whatever the Spirit's inviting you to do, we you know, new, deeper ways of loving, to be more lovely. We can't do that on our own. Scripture says we love because God first loved us. So sharing in love relationship with God, it is utterly amazing, isn't it? Totally mystifying good news. But it doesn't even stop here because gospel love is more wonderful than even this. Not only do we become lovely, in our personal and shared love with God. But in Christ, we also become love letters mm -hmm. to the world. Yep. The Bible says that your very lives are a letter that anyone can read just by looking at you. Yep. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote letters to Ephesus and Corinth and Rome and other places. Guess what? We are the letters to Lydditz and Mannheim and Ephrodog, Millersville and so on. Yeah. Or if you prefer, maybe you think of yourself as God's love song. Yes. Sung through your life to your family, your neighbors, and your coworkers. Mm. You are the primary way that God reveals his love in the world. Yep. No one has ever seen God, ever. But if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us. And his love becomes complete in us. Perfect yeah. love. Now, we may know all of this in our heads, but we can, we can sometimes leave it there. To leave the letter sealed in its envelope. To keep the song in our heart, but never have it pass our lips. Yeah. And what would happen if we were to be brave enough to love others like God loves us? To do the kind of stuff that we read there from 1 Corinthians 13. To be that kind of person. Yeah. It's really rather simple, actually. The how-to. God's love is fierce, so we can be fierce. And our protective love of each other. God's love forgives. We can forgive freely as well. God's love submits so we can submit to one another out of love as Christ did. God's love is secure. So we can be secure, safe places of love that others can trust. Yeah. We can sing to the world that Jesus is never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. <laughs> yeah. And, and on that Rick note. On your yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to... Do something physical 
um, a sacrament, a way of celebrating together that Jesus gave us. We're going to share in the Feast of Love Jesus gave us at the Last Supper. Throughout the meal, Jesus uh, spoke to his friends around the table of his deep love for them and of his passionate love and desire that all of his followers, those who were present there at that table and every one of us who would later follow him in faith, that all of us would become one just as he and the Father were one. And the symbol that he offered was one shared loaf and cup. The bread, he said, as he broke it in pieces, is my body, which will be broken and given for you all, all of us. The cup, he said, as he held it before them, was the new and lasting covenant created through the shedding of his blood for all of us, for the whole world. Take and eat of this one loaf, Jesus said. Take and drink of this one cup. And as you do this together now and on into the future, remember me. In other words, remember me. Make of your individual selves my one body on earth. So this morning, we come to share communion together, the bread of life and the cup of forgiveness. Celebrating that just as Jesus and the Father are one through the Spirit, with the Spirit in love, we have become one with them and with each other in Christ. We read earlier, who shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're going to come now and we're going to share in Christ's feast of love. You can come as you're ready. Well, thanks for hanging in there for oh, two minutes, that's all. We, we knew that today's service may run a little long. We're going to invite you to, ha to uh, have a heart. <laughs> you already do. You have the heart of God. <laughs> but at the end of each of the services, or somewhere in each of the services in this series on gospel, we've been uh, trying to give you something as a reminder of that. So uh, we have some sparkling hearts at the back that you can take with you to remind you, if need be, of how deeply God loves you. Or, if you got that taken care of pretty well, as a reminder to be a love letter, to be a love song to the people in your life this week. Cool? Go with God's blessing. Go with God's love. Have a Valentine's Day every day. <laughs>